Do you think if things get worse with coronavirus, as you said, there's an uptick, mm -hmm. do you think if we're looking at lockdowns again and no school, what are your thoughts there? I don't think so, I have to say. There's differences now than in 2020, where we knew nothing, and we also had hopes it would go away. And I think we all now know that's not gonna happen. So lockdowns and causing everyone to separate and to have social isolation and for kids to get behind in learning and all of the anxiety and depression that were generated in our teenagers, I've never seen so much in my career as I've seen in the last two years. I don't think it's gonna happen. I just don't. Welcome to Finding Your Wellness podcast brought to you by the Columbia Association. I'm Dr. Harry Oaken, a community physician for over 35 years and the Columbia Association's medical director. I am very proud to be working with the Columbia Association for over a decade to assist in our mission to improve the health and wellness of our community. Today, our focus is on keeping our kids healthy, and I am thrilled to have my guest, Dr. Lauren Crosby. Dr. Crosby and I have worked together on a variety of scientific advisory boards, but we've actually never physically met. We've only seen each other virtually. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Crosby. She is a nationally recognized parenting expert and a pediatrician. And after graduating from Smith College and the UCLA School of Medicine, she trained at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, during which she served as their chief resident in pediatrics. She's board certified by the American Board of Pediatrics and is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics. She's also a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics Council on Communications and Media and an official spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics. She is a pediatric medical expert for some television news, and I've actually looked at some of her video broadcasts, and that's when I knew that I really wanted to have her as a guest on Finding Your Wellness here. She's the medical advisor for something I've been involved with, which is a vitamin company specializing in customized vitamin packs called Persenum Nutrition, and also another company called Pantherex, which is a company that is involved in the importance of probiotics, as well as colostrum, and she's also involved in Bobby Organic Infant Formula. She's in private practice at Lapeer Pediatrics in Beverly Hills, and she's an attending physician at Cedars-Sinai. Lauren, it's terrific to have you. Thank you for being our guest. Thanks for um, having me. So first, I, I think I'd like to just talk about what I'm sure the pediatricians are experiencing. I'm certainly seeing it, but maybe not to the severity that the pediatricians are, and that's what sometimes gets referred to as the triple-demic, mm -hmm. COVID, RSV, and flu. What are you seeing? Mm -hmm. We are seeing all of those. So what's happening in our office is RSV, which normally we see like October and really a lot in November, December, January, and February came early. Flu came early. So we have that with COVID circulating, and we are seeing all of those things. I would actually say in our office, flu and RSV have been testing positive. Actually, we've been getting positives on even more than COVID right now in the kids. COVID, we're just starting to see go up here on our swabs, but they're all at the same time. And that's why offices are so busy. Pediatric hospitals are full. It's hard to get a bed. You know, so we want to do what we can, right? And that's what we're going to talk about, how to stay out of the hospital and how to stay well so that we can keep going and not have to sit in an emergency room for six to eight hours, right? We're seeing all of those things. I think the big thing about RSV is parents are more freaked out about it than I've ever seen. I've been doing this for 25 years. 
RSV is not a new virus. So it commonly circulates, like I was saying, but right now we are seeing it early. And we think that the disruptions from COVID where people weren't gathering and all those kids who were born who are now two years old had no or hardly any exposure to it. Everyone gets it at some point in their life and most kids have it by age two. So everyone's kind of getting hit at the same time. Yeah. And so <laughs> the clinical presentation can be mm -hmm. different, right? It can be a, a mild little cold runny nose yes. versus yes. bronchiolitis with wheezing and asthma and shortness of breath. Yeah, no. And we see the range of it. I mean, it's most concerning for kids under two and especially for kids under six months old. In the grown up, they might be like, oh, I have a little cold. And really, that's it. It is also for your population that are older, over 60, it also can be a cause of a lot more morbidity and mortality, like the flu. And so with the little kids and the elderly, it can be more concerning. Like I saw an 11-year-old with R who tested positive for RSV yesterday. He just had a nasty cold. But in the babies, they can really have respiratory distress. So they can look like they're having an asthma attack. And we'll see their heads bobbing up and down and their muscles on their chest kind of sucking in and out. And they don't even want to feed the infants because you have to prioritize breathing over eating. So they will often not feed as well. And if you see that in your kid, you're like, they won't finish their bottle. They don't want to drink. They're not having wet diapers. They get dehydrated. So if that's very important to watch their breathing. I get those calls every day about, well, should we come in or not? How do I know when it's bad? And they can get fever. We've actually seen a lot of high fevers the first couple of days with RSV, a little bit higher. And so a lot of times we're like, come in. We don't know if you have flu. We don't know, but we can figure it out. And that's the good news. And then we make a plan based on that. And some kids respond to albuterol, which is a medication, non-steroid. A lot of parents think it's a steroid that basically relaxes the muscles in the airway and can help them breathe. Um, and it's not a standard of care like it used to be for RSV because a lot of kids don't respond to it, but we try it. Sometimes it works. Right. Yeah. Occasionally, you'll also give them some steroids if they're doing poorly, right? Rarely. If they're in the hospital, they'll right. probably hit them with that. Outpatient, right. we tend not to, unless we do think that really they have a strong family history of asthma, they have siblings who have <laughs> asthma, or really nothing's helping them, but they're not quite bad enough for the hospital. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Many of these kids are sort of happy wheezers, right? They just, mm -hmm. They're okay. They're okay. Mm -hmm. They but just are pouring snot. Yeah. They have like yeah. bubbles of snot. So right. suctioning that out actually helps calm down their cough and helps them breathe better. So we do a lot of nasal suctioning, running a coolness humidifier in the room, sitting in a steamy bathroom if they're having a coughing fit, elevating them, holding them upright helps too. Right. Coughs are often worse with the babies when they're lying down. So the parents are kind of sleeping in shifts and holding the little ones upright. But yeah, it's a lot of mucus, but if they look good and they're feeding okay, and you're hearing a little wheezing and they're snotty, but they're happy and they're sleeping, those are the ones we don't worry about. Yeah. yeah. Now in the adult population, we've been seeing a lot of RSV. And of course, our concern is that some people with chronic illness, it, it can exacerbate heart failure, it can exacerbate mm -hmm. chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So yeah, and actually I got RSV from my grandson and it was an experience for me. It was about, I still have my cough from that. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, right? People are like, and I see a lot of the parents will get laryngitis. I see that a lot in the adults too. They'll get a laryngitis with it. Now, as far as like treatment for it, I mean, we do have something that is an injection that's passive immunity. And that's for babies who fit certain criteria of prematurity right. or heart and lung disease that are under a certain age, there's criteria for something called Synergis, which is injected. And that we do give babies who've had a stay in that newborn ICU in the NICU. And they get that monthly during an RSV season or two, depending on that the criteria. 
some protect some transmission connection. Yes. yes, yes, it yeah. just lasted about a month. Um, yeah. But they are working on a vaccine for RSV. Actually, yes. there's a couple, and there's the one that's in trial for pregnant women, hoping that if we vaccinate them, the antibodies will pass yeah. through. Which is why we like pregnant women to get COVID vaccines and flu shots to protect them, but also it can help protect the newborn baby. So they're working on that one as well. And another one I know for adults too, I think, for right. Like yeah, the RSV uh, vaccine technology is, you know, I think there's a number of companies that have something. There was one company that people were really thinking was going to come to, to market and it didn't really make its its mark, but hopefully they've changed the adjuvant and hopefully that will improve things. But RSV is a real big thing lately. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about influenza and how does a parent distinguish and be concerned that Maybe it's not RSV, maybe it's influenza. What we've been seeing with the kids is with the flu, literally all of a sudden they have a hundred three fever. Like some colds, you know, with the cold, they'll be like a hundred, hundred point low grade and then kind of tapers up over a day or two. But this is just bam, fever. And often they vomit that first day that the fever, a lot of parents will call me and say, fever spiked really high. He threw up last night. I'm like, it's probably flu, come in. Um, sore throat is often common that first day as well. And muscle aches, the body aches, not every kid has that. You know, there's gradations of it, just like with RSV, like some kids are really sick and some it's really mild. So some kids have the flu and they're a little achy and a little fevery, but they pretty much all have a fever with that one. So you can't really tell them apart that easily. And at this time of year, when we usually will say, you know what, if you have a fever that shoots really up high and your kid's really feeling bad, you should make an appointment because we can test in the office with a rapid test and there is treatment. So we start Tamiflu, we do use it in kids if, you know, we get it within the first 48 hours of the start of symptoms. And I even will give it if it's a little past that, if it's an asthmatic, you know, or a kid with any chronic illness, we'll treat them. Yeah. There so are some issues with, uh, with Tamiflu, right, though, mm-hmm. that you, that you mm-hmm. worry about. And that is um, that some kids can actually have some behavioral funniness with it, right? Yeah, but you know, the percentage mm-hmm. of that, I maybe seen it once in the last mm-hmm. 10 years, really uncommon. And so it's risk and benefit. Like I've had people by the time they show up, it's flu, but the kid already seems better. I'm going to leave them alone. But if, mm-hmm. you know, the parent is like freaked out, they're seeing the grandparents or they live with them. The kid has underlying stuff or, you know, we will just say, try it. Because the most common thing I have is they throw up the medicine. So I have vomiting as the biggest side effect from it that we see. And so I do tell them to have food in the stomach first. And if they vomit it, I say, don't redose it. Try it one more time. The second time it's due today. If they throw that one up, we're going to skip it and write it mm-hmm. out. So we can kind of tailor it to what we see, but our patients have been tolerating it actually pretty well. Which well, is in good. the adult population, as you said, it's flu hits suddenly, usually mm-hmm. headache, myalgias, muscle aches. And we can usually tell clinically that it is the flu. We don't always test it, but we know mm-hmm. that influenza A in this community is going around. So I have a low mm-hmm. threshold to start an antiviral if mm-hmm. we're getting it early, but it has to be early. Mm-hmm. I also have a low threshold to give the prophylactic antiviral to the spouse or the grandparents who've had Mm -hmm. it. And that does Mm -hmm. work very well. Let's talk a little bit about your experience lately with COVID. What are you saying? Mm -hmm. So we're definitely having some positive. We actually, we have had some sick babies. We've had several kids in the ICU 
And a lot of kids, you think it's what we call croup, like it presents like croup. So the upper airway is inflamed and they have a barky seal-like cough and they seem to have respiratory distress. So in those kids, in the past, it was like viral croup, you did some steroids for a day, lots of steam and fluids, most kids did fine. Occasionally had to go in the hospital for some special breathing treatments. But we're seeing croup from COVID and we had a couple of toddlers, like 15, 18 month olds who were in the ICU for uh, oxygen right. and it was COVID. So it can cause a host of things from a mild cold also, like we see with right. lots of things, to very significant illness. And though kids don't overall get as bad, you know, since the pandemic started, there've been a little over a thousand under 18 who have died from COVID. So, and also MISC, the multi-system inflammatory syndrome. We have had one case, a two-year-old. It's very severe. She was hospitalized for a long time at Children's Hospital. So, you know, that's not the common thing, but nobody wants that. And nobody wants a kid in the ICU and in the hospital. So, you know, we talk to them, we talk them through it and we try and get through it, but the positives are going up and we're just trying to get everyone through it with comfort measures since we don't use Paxlovid in the little, little kids, you know, right. and most of the time they do fine. So I do reassure the families that we'll just call us, talk to us if the fever is lasting more than a certain number of days, we're like, come in, let's just make sure you don't have a complication. Just like with the flu, you can get a complication, sinusitis, ear infection, pneumonia. So you can get that also with COVID and then you may end up needing an antibiotic on top yes. of it. So, you know, but I mean, most of the kids, it's like a horrible cold. Yeah, yeah. And it's certainly out there. And I think before long, everybody in the planet will have had COVID. And hopefully I think so too. I do have a few families who still haven't. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, and maybe they had it and didn't know as they agree, that's always possible because there are those asymptomatics, you know, that somehow never get sick from it. If I have families where everyone in the house had it, but one person. And they may have or, had it, but they were asymptomatic. Right. Exactly. And so I'm yeah. like, maybe they did. Well, we tested him 20 times, you know? Still, it's a possibility, I think. Sometimes. You mentioned croup, and, mm -hmm. which is, as you said, it can be caused by a variety of infectious agents, mainly, I think, parainfluenza. Parainfluenza, yep. Yeah. So you mentioned that. And you, you also wonder if your patients with COVID had parainfluenza at the same time. We, we, don't, mm -hmm. know, we don't generally test for it. We do. We started because all the parents just want to know. So we have a, a machine that checks for 16 different viruses all at once and takes about 45 minutes to run. So we don't do it on everybody, but in certain cases, we will do it and call them with the results. So I did have one kid about a week ago who tested positive for flu and COVID on that same panel. Right. So flu, you know, flu Rona, they called it last flu season where you had flu and Corona. And he I think got COVID, they just got back from Europe. So I think he got COVID there because his sister for sure tested positive. And then he came back and had flu. So he had it like overlapping, right. but our panel at least tells us. So it is true that some of those groupers may have had it and we didn't test for it. And sometimes, but our paraflu is on our test. That's nice. Right yeah, now. that's nice. It's, it's very helpful when you're, when you're not sure. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I have access to the same, probably the same device. It's a PCR mm -hmm. panel mm -hmm. for about 16 or 17 yep. different both viral and bacterial pathogens. Mm -hmm. It's a nice mm -hmm. thing to have in these days when you're not sure. Exactly. Maybe you tell people how to isolate, right? Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's helpful because the holidays coming up, especially, and we can yeah. go over like what to do to protect yourself too. But yeah, it's really good to know if you're going to be traveling, 
seeing grandparents, seeing anyone who's immunocompromised, pregnant women, et cetera. So let's talk about two other things before we get into other topics. A couple of thoughts about neurovirus, which we're now starting to see in this area, and rotavirus. Mm -hmm. So rota, you know, we vaccinate Mm -hmm. for, and it's helped so much for what I used to see at the beginning of my career, where we used to hospitalize kids because they were dehydrated. They'd be vomiting and having diarrhea at the same time, right, profusely, and they had to go in the hospital. Their electrolytes would be imbalanced. They'd be dehydrated. Now it's actually very rare that we hospitalize for it. So though they may get it, they don't get it as severe most of the time, which is great, but it's still nasty. So vomiting, diarrhea, and the two of them, you can't really tell them apart clinically. Like we just kind of go, it's a virus. You know, it could be this one. It could be this one. We only test if the diarrhea is going more than about seven days. We'll do a stool sample just to kind of see, because you can even have prolonged diarrhea with both of those. I've seen that as well. I mean, sometimes like 10 days and just slowly tapering off the second week, but hydration is, is the main thing. So I talk a lot about how parents love to, the minute a kid vomits, they want to give them something. And I always go, that's the opposite. I'm like, vomiting is your gut saying, I want to be left alone. I want to be empty. I need, leave me alone. So we go through like step-by-step how to stay hydrated. We've been able to keep a lot of kids out of the hospital. And it is so contagious, particularly neurovirus. Yeah, Yeah, so contagious. That's the cruise ship virus, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It spreads Um, like crazy. But the vaccine is very efficacious. As a matter of fact, Mm -hmm. last month, I was fortunate enough to have Paul Offit on, who was (gasps) Yeah, who was one of the, you know, as you know, one of the yes. inventors of the rotavirus vaccine. And uh, we talked a lot about COVID and, and a variety of other things. Oh, yeah. So, amazing. okay. So I want to get a little bit about your thoughts about, do you think if things get worse with coronavirus, as you said, there's an uptick, mm-hmm. do you think if we're looking at lockdowns again and no school, what are your thoughts there? I don't think so. I have to say there's differences now than in 2020, where we knew nothing. And we also had hopes it would go away. And I think we all now know that's not going to happen. So lockdowns and causing everyone to separate and to have social isolation and for kids to get behind in learning and all of the anxiety and depression that were generated in our teenagers. I've never seen so much in my career as I've seen in the last two years. I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't because we also have treatments now. The virus is different than initially. It's very transmissible, but cases maybe not as bad overall. We have medications to treat it. So I don't foresee that. I totally agree with you. This is an entirely different phenomena that has changed the way we look at it and what's happened. And, And by and large, if you're healthy, this is going to be a mild event for you. And you're going to get hybrid immunity that's going to be lasting for at least some people say three weeks and some people say a year. And if you've been previously vaccinated mm-hmm. and on top of that, you get this illness, you're really, I wouldn't say you're bulletproof, but I think you're going to do fine. So Lower risk of hospitalization and death, absolutely. right? Yep. And I think that's one of the great things we can say about the vaccines mm-hmm. that we have available, that they mm-hmm. did in fact decrease hospitalization, did in fact decrease respiratory failure and death for sure. Mm-hmm. Moving forward though, when we're seeing upticking, Some communities are talking about mandating, again, masking. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. uh, now I think that masking is particularly tough for kids. 
Mm-hmm. And I and I wanted to hear what you had to say about that. Yeah, you know, it it really is. I've seen the gamut though of like little three year olds who just happily wear their masks all day and they don't care, and then kids who are not even like special needs kids where it might be more difficult for them just will not keep it on. You know, it's just impossible. And you put it on their teddy bear and everyone practice wearing it in the house and there's all kinds of tricks you try. And some kids, there's just no way. (laughs) So, you know, I think it's really hard in schools. Again, like we talked about before, like with lockdowns, the anxiety, the depression, the social deprivation, even from the mask. And, you know, for kids, yeah, I mean, the studies are showing, oh, it didn't delay language. But if you do it for a really, really long amount of time, who knows? So I think that, again, doing basic common sense measures where we are cleaning everything and we are having kids wash their hands. And I think people need to keep their kids home when they're sick Those and test them and at least do a rapid test for COVID at home. I mean, there are things that can at least mitigate the situation <laughs> so we don't have to go back to that. I know they were talking about indoor mask mandates here in LA, but I think they mean more for like public transportation and some, you know, shopping and stores and markets, maybe. I still don't think that's even going to happen. And also that it's not going to be enforced. It's yeah. just too big a, a city. It's impossible. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're definitely on the same page. I think the other thing that's important with masking is if you're going to wear a mask, let's wear one that we know science says works. Yes. Yes. And so cloth masks virtually are just not helping. Nothing. I guess they're no. better than nothing if you're with a coughing person. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you do need to wear a properly fitting KN95. Yes. And yes. So, and I also think that one of the things that's happened from the pandemic is that it's now very socially acceptable that if you have a cold or you are getting over the flu and you mm-hmm. want to go outside, it makes mm-hmm. perfect sense for you as an infected individual to respect others and wear a KN95, whether it's Definitely. COVID or influenza. Yes. That's a kind of a positive thing. And this has been very accepted in other parts of the world, but not until recently here. I think Mm -hmm. that masking has its place. And currently in Howard County, our level of COVID is low. Mm. So if you go to the doctor's office, unless you're symptomatic, you don't necessarily have to wear a mask anymore. Okay. Okay. It's different here. It's all required here to wear them. And our level is going up. So LA County is starting to be like, uh uh-oh, because our hospitals get busy. You know, I do see the numbers at the hospital I'm affiliated with and the number of COVID inpatients has definitely been going up. So you want to even wear the mask in public and also really try and stay well and stay away from others. Because if the hospital is full, even if you have something else happen to you, like you're in a horrible car accident and the hospital's full, where are you going to go? So let's try and like keep the hospital numbers as low as we can and try and stay out of there, you know? So don't get sick. And I also <laughs> think, and I know you agree, is that, that it's so important, despite everything that's going on with COVID, protect yourself from flu. So get that flu mm-hmm. shot, right? Flu shot, absolutely. We give it to infants six months and above. It's sad that the amount of people who've gotten it this year is quite low and probably only about 42% of the pediatric population has had it. And it's sad because just like we say with the COVID vaccine, it can prevent hospitalization and death. It's the same with the flu vaccine and especially for kids under five, they're much more vulnerable. So it's super easy to do and it's so important also. So right. yeah. Recommend it. So we want everybody to be as healthy as possible. And socialization is such an important thing of keeping our immunity good because it's such a stress reducer. 
And that's one of the great things that we've kind of opened up and kids are in school and people are mm -hmm. traveling again. There's other things that we can do like exercise. And you and I both have been involved in nutrition a lot. So I wanted to just talk a little bit about maybe four things, three things that are really important for nutrition. First, could you make some comments about a multivitamin? What do you think? There? Yeah. So, you know, I do have a variety of patients that I see, right? There's kids who are terrible eaters. They eat literally white foods, right? Or carbs and dairy and they can't get anything in them. They try and hide it and some kids even know. So, you know, if I have a, a picky eater or a kid who doesn't eat fruits and vegetables, I definitely recommend it. Now I do have those kids that eat amazing. Fine, you don't need to take right. the multivitamins or they have like, you know, every time they're sick, they like stop eating for like two weeks during cold and flu season, at least give it to them then because they're going to be getting sick a lot. So but I we think say to our adults, if you're not yeah. getting greater than five to seven servings of fresh fruits and vegetables, mm -hmm. yeah, you should take a multivitamin because mm -hmm. the 20 year, year data for adults shows us that if you take a multivitamin because to supplement your food, you will probably have a, and this is recently published, a decreased risk for dementia, heart disease. Mm -hmm and cancer. So I think that it's really important. Most of us do not get five to seven servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Mm -mm. Let's talk a little bit about probiotics, probiotics for kids, probiotics for adults. Yeah. So I also do recommend probiotics. And, you know, we talked about there's, you know, a company that we have both worked with who has a great probiotic, TrueBiotics. And so they have adult and they have the kid ones, which is great. They have gummies for kids. They have chewables. The thing about the probiotics is, as is now known widely, 70% of the immune system is in your gut, right? So you need to help keep that balance of the good and bad bacteria in shape. And it can help you with anything from diarrhea illness to recovering from diarrheal illness to preventing upper respiratory tract infections. So I recommend probiotics. And also I find with kids with constipation, it's helpful. And my patients on antibiotics, if they don't want to take one every day because it's too much, I'll never remember. Take it at least while they're on the antibiotic and at least for a week after they finish it to help their gut so that they don't have a complication from the antibiotic or antibiotic diarrhea. So they're good on all fronts. We're totally on the same page for that. Now let's talk about something really interesting, which mm -hmm. is called bovine colostrum, which I know mm -hmm. you talk a lot about. Thoughts on that and how you, in the pediatric group, what you think about. So basically, so that, you know, people know, so there is a brand that makes a really great one, Life's First Naturals. And studies have shown that this colostrum bovine, meaning from cows, is almost identical to human colostrum. And human colostrum is that the pre-breast milk. So the fluid that a, a breastfeeding mom makes those first, you know, two to four days before the milk comes in. And that has a high level of protective proteins, immune factors, growth factors. And it has been found that from cows, it's almost identical to the human one. So it's a way for the, after that newborn period, you know, for kids and adults to still have the, those benefits of those protective proteins to help support the immune system and keep your immune system balanced because you can't have colostrum for more than a couple of days in your life otherwise. So it helps ward off foreign invaders and helps your defenses. So it's another yeah. really good one. I, I think so. I think it's a real, and it's very safe. It's extremely very safe. Unless, you know, it does have cow milk in it. So if you have a cow milk allergy, then of course you wouldn't be someone who could take it. But otherwise, yes, extremely safe and gentle. Yeah, so no downside. One of the things we know for adults in terms of the last supplement we'll talk about is vitamin D. So we mm -hmm. know for adults that if you run a low vitamin D level, you are more susceptible to viral infections. Mm -hmm. and a low level would be somewhere under usually 30. And we know that 
those folks are more likely to get viral illness, including influenza, possibly COVID. We have that data. So what I tell my adult patients is get at least 2,000 units a day, and I actually check vitamin D levels annually on patients. Mm-hmm. There's some data that suggests for adults that vitamin D may pr- be protective and good for your immune system for other reasons. So avoiding a deficiency state is very important. Now, whether taking, if you're not deficient, taking vitamin D is as helpful. I can't answer that question. I'm not right. Afraid. But what do you tell kids? Well, I do draw the levels on the teenagers. Okay. So in the little, little kids, we're not going to test it. So I usually like them to have, you know, newborn babies, we start at birth, we start vitamin D now. So they get 400 IU a day and there's different forms it comes in. But so we give that to all babies anyway. And so then on the first birthday, the parents are like, do we still need to take it? I'm like, you should just always take it. So then as they get older, I do up it a little bit. So once they're like 12, I'm like thousand right. a day. And sometimes in the teens, I'll do 2000 because a lot of the teens, I draw blood. So I find most of the kids are low. So then I, I up it and then I'll often have them come back in several months and redo it and then tweak the dose. So we definitely push it. And often, depending on some of the vitamins that I'll recommend, have D in them. And if it's a low amount, I'll have them take an extra D on top of it. Yeah, it's good for them and for the bones. Well, this has been a great discussion. And I think you've really nicely educated our listeners. And it's just been a pleasure to have you as a guest. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm going to close now. This is Dr. Harry Oaken for the Columbia Association sponsored podcast, Finding Your Wellness. Thanks for listening. And you can tune into our podcast on dragondigitalradio.podbean.com. That's dragondigitalradio.podbean.com. Thanks again for being here, Laura. Thanks so much, Harry. Have a good one. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio. 